Alright, how are you guys doing? Good. Good to, good to see you guys. Um, I felt like this past week was like a year's worth of stuff happened in this past week for my family and I. So it feels like we haven't seen you guys in a long time. Um, Daniel felt like he was gone forever, but he's back. Um, so things are right in the world. <laughs> um, so we've been going through our spiritual discipline series. And today we're going to wrap it up. Because next week we're going to enter into our sex relationships and everything that goes along with that series. We're going to have that at the beginning of the week before Valentine's Day, then Valentine's Day, then the week after Valentine's Day. And it should be an awesome, awesome series. So um, invite people to that. That's a good introduction to Trinity Life, who we are, what, what, um, yeah, just an, a good introduction to us. So invite people to that. Um, we're going to wrap up spiritual disciplines today. Um, if you walked in late um, and you were a first-time guest, the blue card on your seat is our, is our connection card. So just fill that out, put it in the box that will be up in the back table when you're done. Again, we just want an email, your name, phone number if you want, and we'll just connect for, for lunch and coffee. All right, so do you guys, do you guys want more? Yeah. I see a lot of people nodding, like, yeah, yeah. More sounds good, right? So, now more what? Like, what are we talking about? What are you guys nodding to? <laughs> you're nodding to what I think you're nodding to, or something else? Um, but that's a, that's a question that I think most of us would say, yeah, we want more, but then what does that mean? You know, do you want more in your job? Do you want more in your career? Do you want more in your schooling? Do you want more out of your relationships? Do you want more out of your marriage? Out of your kids' lives? And you're like, well, we don't have kids. Well, preparing for your kids? Um, do you want more out of your friendships? Do you want more out of your parents? Do you want to see more in your life? Think about, we're going to think about that question as we go through today. Um, and talk about it in light of this passage. So this past week, Missy and I and both of our girls had a stomach flu. So for two days, three days maybe, can't remember, it was a blur. We were like knocked out. I was cleaning up, puke everywhere, like <laughs> while we were trying to keep it down ourselves. Like it was a horrible, horrible couple days. Um, just, just really bad. We were just out of commission. So one of those days though, and our girls I was telling a couple of this this morning, our girls are awesome. So Thursday was the day that we were just, both Missy and I, the girls had it earlier, then Missy and I were just knocked out on Thursday. Um, and we couldn't move. I mean, we're just sitting on the couch. The girls are fine, though. I mean, they, they had it, and then they were done. But I told them, I said, girls, and I have a three-year-old and a two-year-old. I mean, you may have seen them up here more running up and down the aisle. Um, I told them, look, mom and daddy are sick. So just relax today and just hang out with us. And they did. Like they just sat on the couch with us all day. <laughs> and they didn't run around, they didn't go crazy, they didn't whine, they didn't cry, they just sat with us and were there for us. So it was really it was really awesome. So that day, um, I watched Missy went upstairs to, to rest because she was up all night cleaning up Emerson. Um, and uh, so she went up to rest, and I sat on the couch with Emerson and Reagan, and we watched The Lion King. 
You guys seen The Lion King? Okay, most people have seen The Lion King, right? Um, one of my favorite movies growing up, uh, <laughs> I don't know if this was like my sickness, my emotional state, but I almost cried like 10 times. <laughs> and I don't cry on movies. Um, like when I say cry, I was like, like, I'll kind of hold back sobs. Um, there's two movies that I've cried on in my life. Beauty and the Beast, when I saw in the theater growing up, because I thought the Beast had died. Um, and Cool Runnings. <laughs> That's an awesome movie if you haven't seen that. Cool Runnings is the other one. You're probably like, why would you cry on that? Um, so, you haven't seen that, Wendy? Okay. But this is, if you haven't seen it recently, this is an awesome, awesome movie. Like, it was, for the first time, maybe I noticed what it was really about, and that's what piqued my, my emotions. Um, you have, you have a, a lion, a young lion, the, the movie opens up right, and he's born to the king of the savannah, or the pride pens, or whatever they call it. Um, he's, he's born, and he's, he's, the new, he's the next king. That's why Rafiki, the monkey, goes up, and they have this baby dedication for him, um, and, and, uh, and he's christened as a new king. His identity rests in that he is going to be the king someday. He goes through some, some fun times, some horrible times. You know, his, his dad, Mufasa, ends up dying. Goes through this horrible ordeal. His family rejects him and says, you need to get out of here. You need to just run away. I, this, this is not good for you being here. So he goes, and he meets, you know, Timon and Puma, right? He meets <laughs> a mere cat and a warthog. <laughs> and they teach him two words. And he's like, my life sucks. You guys don't want to hang out with me. I shouldn't be here. It's funny. We've been joking about Lion King for, like, since I've known you, right, Isaac? Oh, uh, here it is in an illustration. Steve. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, he meets this his two friends. They teach him two words. He's like, "My past sucks," and they say, "Don't worry about your past. That's in your past. Put your past behind you." And they say, "Just learn these two words: Hakuna Matata." It means no worries for the rest of your days. He's gone through being in time without food, 
um, and he's taking this, this next path. And then Rafiki comes to him because he finds out he's alive. Rafiki comes and he reminds him of his identity. And he says, hey, come follow me. Your dad's still alive. And he's like, what? My dad's still alive? And he falls him through the jungle and he goes, and he takes some of these weeds and he looks in. And it's just a reflection pool, basically, a reflecting pool. He looks and he sees his reflection and he's like, that's not my dad. That's me, stupid monkey. <laughs> That's me. Um, and Rafiki says, look again. And he touches the water and like it ripples and he sees his dad. And then his dad comes in in the clouds and, and he says, remember who you are. And that's when it triggers. And he's like, I know my identity. Um, and he'd been through this identity crisis like, I'm not the king. That was a long time ago. I'm not supposed to be that guy. That's who I was. That's not who I am now. And he finally realizes that he can't escape his destiny because of his identity. And that's what we, that's what we have at Trinity Life, right? That's what we talk about. You're, you just, we help you discover your identity and destiny in Christ to influence our city and the world. And that's what the Lion King is about. Like, he, he remembers his, his identity, and then he remembers he's got a destiny to redeem the pride lands because it's this horrible famine-ridden land right now. Um, and he goes and he redeems it. He takes back his throne. He's the new king. They have, they have uh, the celebration, all that. And he influences that whole area because of that. <coughs> but throughout the movie, you see that he's been taught this philosophy of not to worry, you know, be comfortable. He's got a great life with those guys. They swim in the pools all day with Timon and, and Pumbaa. They, they have food whenever they want. They're in like this beautiful rainforest type place. It's a really awesome setting. Um, and they're comfortable. And that's what you get from the movie. Like, they're comfortable. They're enjoying it. But it's not the best. It's not what he was created for. It's not why he was birthed into this world, Simba. It's not why he exists. And he realized that the whole time he was built for more than this, that he wanted more. And it's not until he realizes that, that he goes back. So you shouldn't only want more, to the, answer that question, you shouldn't only want more. Like, that's good that we want more. But you shouldn't only want more. Your identity and destiny in Christ demand that you have more. And that's what I want you to realize this morning. Your identity and destiny in Christ demand that you have more. Jesus wants the best for you this morning. You should believe that. God wants more for your life than what it currently is. And if you don't believe that, then you don't believe in the God of the universe who can make that happen. We, we have a big God. We have a great God. And if you are an unbeliever in here this morning, if this is your first time in a church service, if this is one of a handful of times in a church service, you're figuring out who Jesus is, who God is, I want you to realize that up front, that God wants the best for you. Now we're going to talk about what that means in light of this passage. So, verse 25 starts off, and it says, Jesus says, Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. Oh, well thanks Jesus, like, I don't have to be anxious? Like, that's so easy. Well, that's not easy, is it? Jesus isn't saying it's easy. I can't just stop there and say, hey, 
Misty, I don't know why you're worrying so much. Just don't be anxious. No, and, and that's it. That's not Christ's advice to us. That's not what Jesus is, is saying. It's not, um, uh, it's not as simple as that, but it is pretty easy. He says, he says um, therefore, to open up with. So, don't be anxious about your life. Well, how do, how do we do that? How do we not be anxious about these things that he's about to list? Well, we just came out of a series where we talked about um, spiritual disciplines. We talked about giving, we talked about generosity, we talked about prayer, we talked about humility, we talked about community, we talked about fasting and what those things mean. Well, those spiritual disciplines in us, those are going to rid us of, of anxiety. So it's based on all that Jesus has just taught, that now he's saying, therefore, because of all that that I just talked to you about, that we have just gone through as a church, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about anything. He says, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. So he covers a lot, a lot of our needs there. Don't be anxious about clothes, food, drink. Is life not more than this? Is the body not more than that? And he points to the birds of the air. He goes on, he points to the lilies of the field. And he says, the birds, they don't store up in barns, they don't gather. But God feeds them. God takes care of them. The lilies... They're there, um, they neither toil nor spin, but God clothes them. And he says this about, about the birds, and he's not painting a picture here that, that we don't work, right? The birds, the birds work. It's not a picture of, of God being a mother bird regurgitating food into a baby bird's mouth. That's not the picture he's trying to give us there. He's saying the birds, the birds do their thing. But they just flutter about because they know they're taken care of. And he says this in verse 26. Are you not of more value than they? So it's a perspective shift. It's a perspective shift of value, of identity, of who you are in Christ Jesus. And it's pretty simple. It's a pretty simple shift in your mind. So the point isn't here that, you know, saving is wrong. The point isn't here that um, that work is evil or that material possessions should be discarded. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's saying that rather you should have a shift in your perspective, that you are more valuable than these animals he's pointed out, than the lilies of the field, and trust that your Savior, that if you're a disciple of Christ, because that's who he's talking to here, he's talking to disciples, he's talking to followers of, of, of Jesus, that, that you're going to be taken care of. And in that, we shouldn't be anxious. We shouldn't worry. Now again, you're probably thinking, well, that sounds great. That sounds fairly easy. Um, but what's hindering you? What's hindering you, if you were a follower of Jesus this morning, what's hindering you from saying, yeah, I completely trust Jesus to take care of those things for me? If you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, what's hindering you from saying, wow, that sounds awesome. Like, I really want Jesus in my life that way. Now, let's talk about... Uh, 
a little bit, we'll, we'll keep on going through this. So, look at verse 30. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive, and which is today, which today is alive, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, so it's, it's fading, it's here, it's gone, um, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? The root of anxiety, he points out here, is unbelief. The root of anxiety is unbelief. It's a lack of faith in who God is and what he can do for us and what he wants to do for us. Now, what do the spiritual disciplines do then? What does going through this model prayer do for us? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Well, basically it's, remember we talked about prayer and what it does. It, it increases dependence on God. It draws us closer to God. It cultivates humility in us and it aligns us with the will of God, right? So if we're praying in this way that God's will will be done in our lives on earth as it is, as it is in heaven, that he would give us our, our daily bread, then we're trusting him for those things, then we're depending on God for those things. Um, if we're giving generously, if we, if we incorporate giving into a discipline in our lives, and, and when I say discipline, I know that can sound, that can maybe be like great against you, but all, in, all, we're, all we're talking about is something that um, becomes a practice in our lives. And it's not a practice that is a religious right. It's not a practice that is something that we have to do to uh, appease God, that we have to do to please people, that we have to do to get to heaven. It's nothing like that. We give because we've been given to. Because Jesus gave himself to us. Because we see others in need around us. Because Christ loved us first, and we love, and that's the only way we can love. Um, we pray because the only reason that you are a follower of Jesus today is probably because someone prayed for you. you know. And we, we want to be dependent on God because he gave it all for us. So these spiritual disciplines come out of a reality of who we are in Jesus Christ, our identity and our destiny. So, um, so when he's talking about here not to be anxious, remember that it's building off of what he's just taught. If we're practicing these things in our lives, if we're giving away generously, then we're not, obviously, we're not caring, caring about um, what we're going to eat that day, what we're going to drink that day, what clothes we're going to wear that day. Because all we know is God's given this to us, and we want to give as he's given to us. Right? So, um, the root of anxiety here, as he points out, is unbelief. It's a lack in faith. Uh, it's a lack of faith in who God is and what he wants to do for you. And that's how we start out with that question, do you want more? Because faith is key to God doing more in your life. Faith is key to God doing more in your life. It takes a step of faith to see God work. It takes a step into the unknown where you don't know if you're going to stand or fall, you don't know if the ground is uh, firm or it's water. Um, 
to know if God's going to catch you and, and push you forward and lift you up. So, um, if you're anxious this morning, if, you, if you're a worrier, ask God to give you more faith. Ask God to increase that in you. And that's what prayer does. Prayer increases that in us. So, let me go to verse 31, then, then I'll... Yeah, let's go to verse 31. He says, therefore, again, don't be anxious. Why do you, why do you think Jesus repeats himself? Because he just said this a few seconds ago. You know, if he's preaching a sermon. He says, therefore, don't be anxious again, because that's how we are as humans. We're, we're anxious. Mainly because we're, we're thinking it's in our own power to make things happen. If we trust in the God of the universe who has infinite resources, then um, and we're not going to be anxious. So therefore, don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Uh, let's stop there. Um, when I read this, it immediately took me back to the Israelites in the desert. So in the Old Testament, Israel <laughs> has just come out of Egypt. They've been in bondage for years. Um, 400 years to be exact. They've been in bondage in Egypt. And they've been slaves. They've, they're, it, it hasn't been good. Um, at one point, their firstborn sons were being killed. Um, you know, all, all, a whole, whole bunch of stuff. But they saw some amazing things too when God freed them. They saw all these plagues and God freed them. But the thing was, in Egypt, though they were slaves, though they were in bondage, they had food, they had water, they had clothes. They were, they were comfortable. They were comfortable. You wouldn't really look at that as like a great life, but they had their homes. They had community. Um, and they're, they're pretty comfortable. Um, well, when God frees them, they go out into the wilderness. And what does that sound like, the wilderness? I mean, I've lived in the southwest U.S. before in the desert. There's nothing out there. <laughs> I mean, it's in the desert. It's if you get lost out there, I mean, it's over. So, yeah. Um, I won't go. On. Okay. So, uh, yeah. so they're out in the wilderness and they're trekking to the promised land, right? And and there's no food out there. There's no water. There, there's nowhere. There's no tailor shop. They don't. They can't stop at. Um, where do you guys shop? The bay? They can't. You guys shop at the bay? I don't know. <laughs> they can't go to the. Okay, I got one. They can't go to the Eaton Center and and buy their clothes. They're just out there in the middle of nowhere on the way to the Promised Land. They can't buy shoes. None of that. Um, but God provides for them. He says. He says here in verse verse thirty one. Don't be anxious, saying, "What shall we eat?" Remember here, he's talking, he's talking to the Jewish people, Jewish disciples here. He's saying, don't be anxious, what shall we eat? Immediately, they should probably think back, yeah, why should we be anxious? God, God supplied food. He made up food for our ancestors when they had nothing. And they can look around them and see, that all, that they, and see all that they have. But they're in the wilderness, and they had nothing, and God makes up food for them. He, he gives them manna. Bread, bread from heaven. Uh, a lot of a lot of scholars think manna uh, can be translated as "what is it?" 
<laughs> so, like, so they wake up in the morning, there's this white stuff on the ground, and they're like, what is it? Like, what the heck? And that's what they call it. They're like, hey, you want some what the heck for dinner? Like, hey, let's have some what is it? Like, that sounds good right now. You know, um, <laughs> it's just funny that they would call it. But um, what's awesome about this is, later in the Gospels, Jesus is going to say, I'm the bread of life. That's me. You don't have to ask what, what you're going to eat because you've had the bread of life. You've had something that has given you life that you didn't have before. <coughs> yeah, you're in the wilderness. And you may be, feel like you're in the wilderness this morning. You may be in a really dry spot. You may be searching God for answers. You may be saying, God, I don't even know if you exist, but if you exist, give me some answers. Well, here's your answer this morning. Jesus is the bread of life, and he's come so that you could eat of that and never have to eat again. So the new question is, and what shall we eat? But are you hungry? Are you hungry this morning? Do you want something more in your life than what it currently is? And obviously, I'm not talking about more money. More money, more problems. <laughs> That's what they tell me. I will never know. <laughs> I may have just ruined the moment. Um, I'm not talking about more money. I'm not, Jesus isn't talking about more material possessions here. He's talking about something much, much greater. Much, much sweeter. And he says here, what shall, what shall we drink? You guys are asking that. What shall we drink? In the wilderness, Moses, um, Moses speaks to a rock. And they get water from a rock. And later on in the Gospels, Jesus says, I am the living water. Whoever thirsts and comes to me will never thirst again. Never. The awesome thing is, Jesus isn't just the water, but he's the rock. And in the, in the New Testament, it interprets Jesus as the rock in the Old Testament. He's the water and the rock for us. So if you're thirsty this morning, Jesus is saying, Come to me and you'll never thirst again. And then they say, what shall we wear? They had clothes that didn't wear out in the wilderness. If you read Deuteronomy 8, it kind of goes through this. Moses is reminding the people right before they enter the promised land. He says, remember what your God has done. Remember what he's done for you. You had food. You had drink. Your clothes, I don't know if you realize this, over the past... 40 or so years, those are the same clothes you've been wearing. <laughs> they didn't wear out. And they don't smell bad. Well, I don't know, they probably smell a little, a little bad. Um, but the shoes on your feet, too, those are the same shoes. They didn't wear out either. And you walked a lot in the desert. You walked a lot in the wilderness. Paul says in Ephesians, um, he lays out the armor of God. And he gives us a new garment to wear. And Jesus is the armor of God. If you read through that passage, we have the helmet of salvation. 
and that's Jesus. We have, the breast, we have the breastplate of righteousness. Jesus is our righteousness. Jesus is the truth, which is the bell. We have our feet shod with the gospel of peace. That's Jesus. We have the shield of faith. We have the sword of the spirit, like the word of God. That's Jesus. So, Jesus is saying here, you're asking the wrong questions. Questions you should be asking is, are you hungry? Yeah, I'm here for you. Are you thirsty? That's me. Do you need new clothes? I, I have some that will never wear out, that are not made of this world, that are spiritual garments that will last in eternity from this world on. In verse 32 he says, For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And when he says seek there, it's this really emphatic word for seek. So basically it can be translated as they're running after these things. And when he says Gentiles, basically he's talking about all of those people who, who aren't followers of Jesus. He's saying those who, who, who don't know God. Okay? Who don't know God. And so they're running after these things. They're in high pursuit. You can just picture an athlete running and sweating and giving it his all to seek after these things, to seek after material possessions, to seek after what, they, what they're going to eat for the day. Because that's a material possession, if you haven't realized that. We think, oh, well, I don't value clothes, or I don't value um, cars, and I don't know, what do you guys value? Houses and jewelry, um, stuff like that. Um, uh, things that things that we value, like those are things that our society puts a big onus on. Um, if we live in a nice house, if we drive the right cars, if we have the right things, um, but also eating, food, drink, those are material possessions that Jesus is saying. The Gentiles they seek after these things, they run after them with all their might, and all of these things aren't going to satisfy. And the Gentiles here, again, they have no knowledge of God. And he's saying they run after these things, and it's because they don't have an antidote. They don't have anything to take away their anxiety. Nothing's going to take away their anxiety except fulfilling themselves on these things. That's why you read about people who get all these things, wealthy, wealthy people, celebrities, and they realize, wow, I got all this stuff, and it hasn't satisfied me one bit at all. That's because we weren't created for those things. We were created to use those things. We weren't created for those things. So, they're going to run after these material things. But, if you're a disciple of Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, your life shouldn't look like that. The sad thing is, most of our lives still look like that. So, it's just a shift in perspective. It's a shift in who God is in your life. It's a shift in knowing that you're valuable in His sight, that your identity is in Christ, that your destiny is, is there. And if you're a follower of Jesus and you haven't seen Him directly and magnificently just provide for you in, in many different ways, um, which you have, 
you just need to open your eyes and, and see it, because Jesus does provide if you're His. And if you are, if you're here this morning and you're like, I don't, I don't know, I don't know about all that, um, then we just ask you to take the next step to trust in Jesus. That's what He's asking. He's like, just, just come to me. If you're thirsty, come. If you're hungry, come. If you need something in your life that's more than what you have, you found it hasn't satisfied, come to me. So what are, your, what are your goals in life? What have been your goals like over the past 10 years? What are your goals for this year? Think about that for a few moments. And think about how many of them are material or or material-driven goals. Like some of my goals, uh, some of our goals before we were 30, we had we had a few goals. We wanted to have our kids or start having kids when we were 30 or before we were 30. Check um, and check. <laughs> <laughs> we had two of those. Um, so check, check. Um, we wanted to finish my education, uh, or both of us did. So Missy finished hers, I finished mine. I, yeah, I defended my dissertation two months before I turned 30. So check. <laughs> um, we, so we did that. Um, we wanted to travel. We love traveling. We've been to five different continents, right? So we did that. Like, all those things are, are okay goals. We wanted to set up our family. We wanted to save money. We wanted to prepare for our kids' education. We did all that. We wanted a house. We did that. We wanted to be debt-free. We did that. Those are all great goals. We did all that. And then God called us into church planning. And now, it's different. <laughs> but those aren't horrible goals, right? And your goals probably aren't horrible goals. It's not like you have a goal to, to kill 10 people this year. <laughs> I hope not. If, we, if you do, we need to talk. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> um, with the cops. <laughs> so, like, it's not that you have horrible goals, but what are your goals being driven by? That's the question. Like, our goals, my uh, having kids, having being debt-free, having having a nice house, having cars, having, you know, whatever we had, um, all those things weren't driven by kingdom, kingdom expansion. In my mind, they weren't like, this is, this is for the kingdom. If they were, I was really deluded. <laughs> Extremely deluded. Um, hey, even having our kids wasn't, wow, this is, this is awesome. You know, we're going to make, make disciples by having, by raising disciples and having children. Like, that was more of, we want kids. It wasn't, in our minds, it wasn't, we're expanding the kingdom this way. And that sounds weird to think about it that way. Um, but, uh, they're our first disciples. Um, even being debt-free, which is an awesome goal to have, and you should all have it, wasn't for kingdom expansion. The only, the only goal that I mentioned out of all of those was my seminary education. Was our education, was Missy's job that she was working at, 
in my education was for the sole purpose of coming here and doing this and seeing you guys and seeing Last Transform. That's the only thing. Now, so think about your goals for this year again. And think about how many of those are driven by something other than the kingdom. Because that's what Jesus is going to hit us with right now. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. In verse 34, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow. Again, he's repeated that three times. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. It's kind of funny. It's like he's almost, it's almost a sarcastic statement. It's like tomorrow will be anxious for itself. You got enough troubles today. Sufficient <laughs> like, for the day is his own troubles. Um, and he's pointing us to something. So what is, what's amazing here when he says seek? He says, but seek. He uses a completely different word for seek. We translate it the same way because um, it's, it's hard for us to convey what, what he's saying in, in verse 32. Uh, verse 33, um, when he says seek there, it's a normal version of seek. Like, oh, just, just check it out. Just look over there. There's the kingdom. Oh, just look over there. There's my righteousness. So he's saying, we chase after all these material things. We want them, we want them, we grasp for them, and we're grasping in the air. But the kingdom's right in front of your face. Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm right here. I've come down here, and I'm right here before you. And he's so easily accessible. And we're missing him, we're missing the kingdom, we're missing what we were created for, we're missing our identity and our destiny because we're chasing after something that's going to be here today and gone tomorrow. When I get a pizza, it's here today and gone in five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> like, someone's going to be here and it's going to be gone. He says, your life is more valuable than that. You are worth more than that. You are made and created for something different than that. So what's the kingdom look like? Well, it looks like more than moral. It looks like our more than moral series in Matthew 5. And that's what we just talked about. That's the kingdom. That's what it looks like. How do we seek the kingdom? Well, it looks like the spiritual disciplines in Matthew 6, what we just talked about. What does God's righteousness look like? Go back to Matthew 5, more than moral, what we've been walking through for the past couple of months. And how do, how do we seek God's righteousness? Well, spiritual disciplines. When he talks about righteousness here, he's not talking about justification before God. He's not talking about salvation and just justification before Jesus. He's, he's talking more about just living a life that's defined by willing, complete submission to God because we recognize that he wants the best for us. So it's not about preventing ourselves from being anxious. We can't do that. And we can't do that without an eternal perspective. And what's needed for an eternal perspective, a view towards eternity, is, is the pursuit of God's kingdom and the pursuit of his righteousness. And the word eternal perspective is kind of a paradox. Um, the Christian faith is, is, there's so many paradoxes in, in the Christian faith, which is what makes it so amazing. Um, but an eternal, an eternal perspective is simply this. 
It's a view towards eternity that leverages your present situation and circumstances for something greater than yourself. It's a view towards your present situation and circumstances that leverages that for something greater than yourself. So it is looking at the present, but that leverages us for eternity. So it is about being present. It's about realizing what God has put right in front of your face and doing something with that. I talked to a guy, we were at a church planning conference this week in Daniel and I. Um, actually, a few of us were. We, uh, Curtis and, and Bruce and Kelly and Dorchie came out and Missy and Linda showed up for like two hours. Actually, Kelly was there for like an hour and a half. Right? I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, is she downstairs? She's in the kitchen. Okay. Um, so, and we had this conference, and it was all about um, young people, about the university, about university students getting to know church planning. So we're just exposing them to church planning. And this one of the guys comes up to me afterwards, after one of the sessions, and he says, you know, ask him how he was doing and, and what was going on. He says, well, I work, 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 and sleep. Work, 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 and sleep. Work, 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 sleep. And I just want to do ministry. And I said, You're, you just need a perspective shift. Instead of work, work, working, sleep, look at your work where God has put you right now. And I know you, you probably hate it. You don't like picking up trash of other, of other people. You don't like serving other people. Um, he works in like the service industry. You know, you don't like, um, yeah, that's not your optimal job maybe, um, you know. But God has put you there at this time for a specific reason to do something great for the kingdom. And you need to believe that. And you need to trust that God has put you in that position for something great. And he was like, yeah. You know, there's so, there's so much around me that I can be, that I can leverage for the kingdom. And it was like the first time his eyes opened and he was like, wow, yeah. I don't need, this is my ministry. This is what, what God is calling me to do right now and what God has given me. So, let me read this to you and then we'll close. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 8. I'm going I'm to fly through it, but this is one of the most beautiful passages in all of Scripture. It's about an eternal perspective. Try to track with me as you read through it. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power, and he says jars of clay, we have this treasure. We have, we have Jesus, we have the gospel, and jars of clay, jars of clay that, that crumble, that are ephemeral, fading, that um, are, are transient, that are here today, gone tomorrow. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believe and so I spoke, we also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised Lord Jesus will raise us 
also with Jesus to bring us with you into his presence. And this is the verse here that Missy and I rode up to Toronto. Verse 15, for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people that may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. That should be your prayer in whatever you do. That in whatever you do, it's all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people that may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day for the slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, not to material things, but to the things that are unseen, the spiritual things. For things that are seen are transient, but things that are seen, unseen are eternal. What you've walked into this morning is not complacency, it's more. That's what we're here for. Trinity Life is a church that wants more. We want more than what you see here right now. When you give to Trinity Life, you're not giving to, to maintain this. You're giving to see the kingdom expanded. You're giving to the future. When you serve at Trinity Life, when you guys play up here, when you guys set up, set up here, when we serve in the community, we're serving for the present, yes, but with an eternal perspective that God wants more for us. Not because he wants more for us, but because he's God. Because he is more. Because he, he can give us more than we could ever imagine. So it sounds, it may sound a little selfish to want that. To say, God, I want more. It may sound like you're being dissatisfied. It may sound like you're being unappreciative. But when you realize who God is, that's what he wants. He wants you to depend fully on him. Because when we say, God, we want more, he says, I'm like the best, perfect father who's going to give you more. He says, your, your earthly fathers even do that when you ask him. How much more so am I, I going to give you my spirit? How much more so am I going to go before you and you're going to see lives changed, big things happen? So know that if, if you are new to Trinity Life, if you've been coming here for a while, we want more. We're a community that wants more and we expect more and we know God is going to do more. We're not talking about material things. We're talking about immense spiritual transformation to our city. <coughs> God, Thank you that you've called us to desire more. Place those desires deep in our hearts, burn your word in our souls, that we would want more, because we want you. And we can never have enough of you. We will never know enough of you. We'll never understand enough of you. We'll always be learning you. We'll always learn, uh, grow in our love for you, grow in how we follow you, mature in our faith. And that's the beauty of it. Because you're God, and by very definition, you're, you're always going to be above us. So I pray for those in here this morning who, who haven't experienced that yet, who don't know you, who, are, who may feel far from you this morning. And I pray that, God, you would make yourself real to them this morning. We ask in your name, Jesus. Amen.